Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And if you are new here to Grace, it is so good to have you here. And so I've got this weird announcement that I'm, I'm going to stay, and it's just kind of doubling down on, uh, on what I sent out in our email newsletter. And so all the information is in the email newsletter. I'm not going to hit it all. And if you're like, what are you talking about? Go to our website, idahograce.com, scroll to the bottom, big orange button, can't miss it, newsletter, sign up there. But, um, but I shared this week that uh, be, uh, following the last Sunday of this month, I'm, I'm going to be uh, taking off on a, on a sabbatical this summer. So what that means is that I'm going to be unplugging just a little bit. Uh, first part of, of June, I'm heading to Kenya, and we're going to be shooting a video there. We have a, a team that's going, and I'm looking forward to that. And then when I get back, I'm just going to take a little bit of, of a break. And just so you know, I'm leaving the church in great hands. If you haven't met uh, our team yet, I'm prejudiced, but I think I get to work with the greatest people in the entire world. And yeah, that's right. You can give it up for our team. Come on, you started. Let's just, that's good. That's good. The Pastor Tony, Pastor Matt, Pastor Will, Pastor Edgar, actually all, all, of, all of our staff, they, they'll, they'll be doing a lot of the teaching, you know, if there are emergencies, uh, whatever. They are just here to lead during this time. But um, just so nobody's uh, feelings are hurt, I uh, committed to the board that I am totally unplugging from social media, from phone, from email. So if you reach out and I don't get back right away, it's not because I hate you. Uh, it's because that I am, uh, I'm unplugging. So I'll be coming back probably to do a little teaching in the middle of July and then be fully back in, in August. But I just want to say a big thank you, first of all, to our board for... Uh making sure that this happens. It's hard to believe that, uh, man, as of August 1st, I'll, I'll have been here 12 years. And I, I just want to make sure that this congregation, you understand that uh, I, I don't think that I've ever been more fired up about what God is calling us to here at Grace. And I just have a feeling that the next season that is ahead is a fruitful season. And I really do believe the best is yet to come. Now, in fairness, you might see me a little more quickly because after two weeks, Lori might be like, hey, we're done with the sabbatical thing. Get out of here. So I don't know. I don't know. But I do appreciate your prayers uh, while I'm gone. And uh, man, be praying for our, our team too. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to what God is going to be doing. Now, I, I've got a question though before we jump into uh, to reading Revelation 3. How many of you, uh, how many of you had a stubborn child? Let me see your hands. If you, you don't have to point, don't point, don't point. Like, okay, so you had... How, how many of you were the stubborn child? Let me see your hand. Oh yeah, truth. Like revival is breaking out. This is good. This is good. Okay, so I, one of our kids, who I'm not going to mention because um, they might, I don't know where they are. Anyway, uh, they, were, they were that kid that when you were teaching them to do something, they did not want any help at all. Teach them how to load the dishwasher or how to mow the yard or how to clean or, or whatever, whatever it was that are, you know, make it, they did not want any help. In fact, when you would, you would give guidance, like, I know, I know, or you would try to help them. No, no, I can do it myself. I know, I know, I know. Well, I, I want you to hold on to that picture of that kid that's just got it all figured out, doesn't want any help at all. As we jump into Revelation chapter 3 and we look at the last of the seven messages that Jesus gave, this is the seventh church that he writes to. 
We pick up our reading in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And so Jesus is identifying himself. And, and, and I, I do like this part where he says, I am the true witness. And, and he's getting ready to do some witnessing. And, and I, I think it's good as we, as we dive in this morning to acknowledge that we don't always like what, is what Jesus witnesses to. There, there are going to be times, in fact, I'm just going to say this morning, as, as, as we dive in, there, this is one of those messages that I think several of us are going to be dinged. Even as I was studying this week, it was, it was just a, a passage again that challenged me. But what Jesus says is true, even if what he says is painful, it's still true and it's for our good. He says in verse 15, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And in fact, I, I, I want you to just keep your Bibles open, but I, I want to pause and, 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 and speak to this just for a second because this, this church that he's writing to, is, it, it's a church that's got their act together. I don't know if you've ever been this way, but, uh, you know, if you heard, you know, rebukes or something given out, you're like, oh yeah. So I'm, I'm sure they're sitting there. They're hearing that church in Ephesus, then Smyrna, then Thyatira. They're hearing their message. You're like, oh, you know, I always, I always said that about that church in Ephesus. Yeah, that's right. That's true. That's good. That's good. But they're waiting for the commendation because Jesus always started with all the, the previous six churches. He started with a commendation. But imagine their shock and awe where Jesus skips the commendation. It's the only church that he doesn't commend whatsoever. Which is interesting because like they, they were sure when they were hearing him, you know, rebuke the, the, you know, the immorality in the churches, you know, the, the wrong doctrine or, or, you know, lack of love, whatever. They, they're like, okay, you know what? Our worship, team, our worship team's pretty good. We got, some, you know, we're debt free. Did you know that? We got some great outreach in our, our community. Like we're making a difference. So they're waiting. What's he going to say? And what Jesus does is he skips right past the commendation and he rebukes them. And it wasn't idolatry or, or, or their lack of courage in the face of persecution or anything like that that gets his rebuke. He was disgusted by the fact that they seemed to, to have no sense of their desperate need for him. They saw Jesus as nothing more than addition to everything else. He was just, if, I could, if you can think of a bicycle tire, he was just another spoke. He wasn't the hub. And Jesus saved his most direct rebuke for this church because what turns the stomach of Jesus is this. It's the symptom that I want to look, because there's three things that he's going to look at. There's going to be a symptom, there's going to be a, a, a disease, and there's going, to be, there's going to be a prescription. The symptom was this. It was lukewarmness. Now, if you're taking notes at the very top, you're going to see the big point there. And I want you to, to write this out, because I think this is very, very important that, that we grasp this. Jesus knows the real need of his church, even if they don't. 
Jesus knows what his church needs even when his church is, is blind to it. So what Jesus is doing here, he's gonna, he's gonna call out a few things. And so when he talks about lukewarmness here, lukewarmness isn't the disease, it's just a symptom that, that tells us there's a disease. And the reason he uses this is because you gotta know the little context about Laodicea. Uh, if, you, if you've been in church for a while, maybe you've heard your pastor refer to this. Uh, archaeologists, when they excavate, begin to excavate Laodicea in the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s, they discovered that the Laodicea did not have its own fresh water supply. Uh, they, the local water supply, they would actually have an aqueduct bring in water six miles or so from Hierapolis. Now, Hierapolis was known for their hot springs. Uh, people would go there uh, for, uh, it, it was considered to be a place of healing. And so many people with physical ailments would go to Hierapolis because they were known for their hot springs. Now, uh, a little ways away, still in that, that region there in, in Asia Minor, was, was another city called Colossus. We, Colossians, uh, the letter that the Paul wrote to the Colossians, they were known for their cold springs. In fact, uh, the, the travelers coming through, they, where they would stay, travelers on, on their way to somewhere else would always stop in Colossus because of the refreshing water there. They were not stopping, however, at Laodicea because by the time the water got to Laodicea from Hierapolis, it wasn't, it wasn't hot anymore. It was just kind of, eh. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not a, I don't go to a lot of coffee shops. I, I like coffee, but I, I like, I just brew my own coffee. And before you're like, oh, he must be a coffee snob. No, I'm like talking, I go to Walmart and get Dunkin' Donuts brand and put it in there. Like I, but I, but I'm, I, I you know, I, I make my own coffee. Now, if I get a gift card, I'm going to Starbucks, which by the way, they need to change their name to eight bucks. Have you been there recently? Like that is, that is some crazy. Anyway, uh. But, but like, I'm, I'm always going to drink. I, I like my coffee hot. Uh, I, I, I get hot coffee. My, uh, my kids, they, they're all into iced coffee. Anybody into the iced coffee? You like it big into that? Yeah, I see your hands. Okay. Uh, you need Jesus. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but you know, when you go, when you go, I'll just use uh, Starbucks or Dutch Bros, whatever. When you go there, they, they'll ask, do you want that hot or do you want that cold? They've never said, do you want that lukewarm? Like, like, that is not on the menu anywhere. Hey, hey, you know what? We serve the best lukewarm coffee in town. Now, I know where you can go in town to get the best lukewarm coffee because I've been there. And so, but I'm not going to tell that restaurant. But here's the deal. I, I despise lukewarm coffee. So this week, while I'm studying for this message, this was not planned or anything. I had brought in, I, I've got a, uh, when I graduated from Liberty University, they, they were so nice to me. Got, got me this really nice uh, Yeti mug that's supposed to keep cold things cold and hot things hot. And, uh, and so what I, what I did when I left, I thought I had the right mug. And it does a great job. Like you can go for two hours, three hours or more, and it's hot. And I thought that I, I had brought that mug. I wasn't paying attention. Made, I always get here early, make the coffee for everybody. Made the coffee, went upstairs and got distracted with something, got cold away, came back three hours later, but which is not a big deal because I've got my Yeti mug. And, and I take a drink and it was like a big gulp of lukewarm coffee. Dude, I'm telling you, it's nasty. Here's, I am not making this up. I took that drink Right after I had read 
Oh, that you were cold or hot, but you are lukewarm, and I want nothing more than to spit you out of my mouth. I'm like, this is it. Like, <laughs> Jesus is in this this week, man. This is good. But no, the, the, the reality is this. Like, like, if you read the King James Version Bible when it talks about this, it says, because you are neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Spew. That sounds very proper. It's like a British person. I'm feeling very terribly upset. I think I'm going to spew. No, what he's talking here is literally this. And, and just hang with me. He's saying, your lukewarmness makes me want to puke. Like, he, he, that's exactly what he means. You're like, I can't believe we're talking about this in church. Well, Jesus said it. They read it in church before. Here we go. Now, listen, when, when it comes to being sick, I will do anything and everything to keep from doing that. I just, I don't want to do it. Lori, on the other hand, is like, let's get out of our system. That's why I, I'm sick longer than she is. But, but here's the deal. When it comes to this, this, whole, this whole idea of, of, of lukewarm, he's making a point. And in fact, later in verse 19, we're going to read that, that he says, man, the answer for this, he's contrasting, the answer for your lukewarmness is to repent and be zealous. And that, that zealous, which is, is the, what he's asking us to do, comes from, from this word. In fact, we also see when he says hot or cold, hot is this word called, it's a Greek word called zestos, zestos. And it comes from the, from the word zoe, which means, uh, which it has two meanings in the New Testament. When you, when you see zoe, it either means jealous or zealous. It's interpreted two different ways. Now, now, when we think of jealous, normally like that's a negative thing, but, 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 but jealous isn't always a negative thing because it just means that there's an intense love on the behalf of someone else, so you are seeking their good above all else. When jealous, jealousy is a bad thing is when it's focused on us, where we don't love other people. We're, you know, like, oh, I see they got a car. Like, we can't even be happy for what they get. Like, Wonder how much they're in debt for that. Like, like we, we're, we're Zoe, we're, we're jealous. Now, on the other hand, there, there is a positive side of jealousy. For instance, I am jealous for my kids' future. I want them to follow the Lord. I want them to make good decisions. I love my kids. And so I'm, I'm jealous for their affections. I'm jealous for their decisions. Not because of me, because I love my kids. You know, last, uh, a couple years ago, Trey, uh, he was going to his upperclassman years in college, and he, he had some incredible internship opportunities. And, was, and, and he said, Dad, what, what should I do? And my, my advice to him was not based on, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but it wasn't based on, hey, these are the greatest opportunities to rise in the corporate world, because he had some pretty stinking incredible opportunities. I'm jealous for my son to follow the Lord, to serve the Lord, to love for the Lord, to lead for the Lord. And so because of that, I, I gave him advice based on that. Look, you get this. You're, you're jealous for, for your kids. You're jealous for your spouse. God, God is jealous for his, his people. That's actually a good thing. Now, zealous, on the other hand, is, is it's, it's the other side of this. It's, it's another part where, man, there literally is this energy. I'm a, I'm a ball of fire because it's, it's what I feel for someone or something. Some of you are zealous about sports. Some of you are, are zealous about food. Like some of you are zealous, obviously you should be zealous for your spouse or, or whatever. And, and so this, this whole idea of, 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 of jealous and zealous, it comes from this word Zoe and he's saying, I would that you were either hot, 
jealous or zealous, but here's the weird part, or cold. You're like, why in the world would he rather us be cold than lukewarm? You'd think that at least, you know, like lukewarm, you're at least headed the right direction. But I came across a quote by uh, the, old, the old evangelist, G. Campbell Morgan. And this brings a little perspective when he, commenting on this particular passage of scripture, said, there is more hope for the man outside the church in all his coldness than for the man within the church who's near enough its warmth to appreciate it, yet far enough from its burning heat to be useless to God and man. There's a greater chance for the non-believer who's not heard the gospel than the man who's become an evangelized non-believer. And what Jesus is speaking to is those who become so accustomed, they've grown up being religious. They've grown up being around the church, they're part of the church, they've made a profession, all of these sort of things, and yet there is no zeal. And guys, I... I, I I think this might be, out of all of the messages to churches, maybe the most relevant message, not just to the church in general, not just to the American church, but I'm gonna just speak, or I'm gonna just say it. I think the Grace Bible Church. I think, I, I, I think lukewarmness is the greatest threat that we, that, that we have and will face as a church. Where, where we, we rest on the fact that, oh, we have these things. Man, thank God for a, a, a great worship team. And thank God that we're debt-free. Thank God for all the opportunities. Thank God for all the busyness. But sometimes we can get so focused on the doing good things that we miss out on being. And being trumps doing every day of the week. Huh. We, were, we were talking about this uh, you know, like, how, how do you recognize luke, lukewarmness? Really, luke, lukewarmness is, honestly, it's kind of that kid. I know, I know, I, yeah, no, I've got this, let, let, I've got this. There's, there's no dependence upon God. There's, there's a, a lack of prayerlessness. You know why we don't pray? It's not because we're not disciplined enough. It's because we don't think we need to. Like, I, th this is not me just, like, trying to trash on people or whatever, because there are times I struggle with this as well. Greatest temptation not to pray is that I don't feel like I need to. Like, when you're in an emergency, guess what you're doing? You're praying. We, uh, my friend Daniel Henderson said this years ago, and I've, I've never forgot it. Prayerlessness is nothing more than a declaration of my independence from God. You don't, see, you don't see a lukewarm church, it's a, it's a church that doesn't pray, that, that, that literally doesn't have this exalted high view of God. We're, we're okay with, I don't know, just, it's an easing. It's not that we have wrong belief. No, our wrong, we're doing good things. We believe the right things. Um, we, we, we do this, but I don't know. There's, it's like, I believe I believe in God, that's, that's enough. You know, I, I don't use the phrase eternal security when I, when I preach. And the reason why is because I think it's too confusing. Because there's some people, when they hear the term eternal, the phrase eternal security, they buy into this concept that's very false, it's not found anywhere in scripture, that because I prayed a prayer one time or got wet, 
that everything, I'm, I'm good to go. That, that's not at all what eternal security is. I, I like to use assurance of the believer um, to, to, to talk about this because you can know that you know that you know, first of all, that you've been saved and that you're going to have, you, we can know this. But, but I, I, I think there's a lot of times that we've bought into this, this whole, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is real and that's enough. No, no, the saving belief is taught in the New Testament is specific belief, not just that Jesus existed, but that Jesus' work on the cross is enough that the only way that you and I can be saved is to trust in Christ. And this confidence, this assurance of the believer does not come from a past experience. It's, it's a confidence that comes from walking with Jesus. We're, we're walking with Jesus. Now, are we saved by our works? No, we're not saved by our works. But, but as, as, as 2 Peter 1, as Peter wrote, he says, as we're pursuing these characteristics, these things, he said, what it, we're doing is we're confirming our calling and election, which means that our calling and election have nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with God's choosing. But our assurance comes from the fact that we're walking with Jesus. Lukewarm Christians don't have that confidence they're walking with Jesus because there's no fruit of it. And I told you, this is the... When he's a true witness, like there are things that, that are painful when we start talking about lukewarmness. Um, you remember uh, in Matthew 13, well, it's actually other place in the gospels where Jesus talks about the sower who's sowing the seed and, and it lands on four different types of soil. Remember that? So, so it lands on the path, which is a hardened soil and there's, it, it, it does not take root there. It's, it's like some people where they're just hardened. They, the, the seed never takes fruit. There is no proof whatsoever that, that there's just nothing there. But then there's, there's other soil, there's the rocky soil, which, which means that there's enough dirt for the seed to take root and for there to be immediate green to come up. But what's underneath is just rocky. And so when the sun comes out, it scorches that there's, there's no fruit that comes from that. Then there's the, the other seed um, that, that, that is, you know, in thorny, thorny soil kind of like some of your yards where the weeds grow up and they choke out the seed. And, and so while there's the immediate green, there's no fruit. The, the seed that falls in good soil is always the seed that produces fruit. What is it that Jesus says in, in John 15? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and what's the second part? And so prove to be my disciples. Again, we're not saved by our fruit, but the reality is our fruit is, it, it bears fruit. We're, we're walking with the Spirit. We don't produce the fruit. The Spirit's producing the fruit, but there's this confidence that comes that I'm walking with the Lord. Man, our, our lukewarm Christians, here, we begin to doubt at times. Why? Because we're not praying. We're not seeking God. He's become one God among many. We'd never say that. We believe the right things. We sing the right things. We ascribe to the right things. We stand for the right things. And yet, Jesus says, man, I want to throw up. Like, man, that is really, really harsh. Jesus is saying, man, there's a difference between hot and cold and lukewarm. I would rather you be on fire or I'd rather you be cold and maybe even get to a place of acknowledging the fact, like, dude, I need something here, than to accept and be lulled into a comfortable state of being that says, oh, everything's good because I believe the right things. No, 
Paul's very clear. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. It's not a one-time event. We're continuing to walk with Jesus. Ooh, man, I thought we were going to get a Mother's Day message. Ah, this is for mothers. That's for fathers too, but it's not just a symptom. Jesus goes on to point out the disease, and the disease is that kid that I was talking about. The disease is self-reliance. Look at verse 17. For you say, I, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, real quick, just because I make context is so important. Um, Laodicea was one of those cities, they were, they were a frontier city. Uh, when they were planted, they came from nothing to something. Uh, think the Wild West, and, and you know, if, you, if you study this. Um, they were known for three things. It was a financial center. It was a textile center. It was a, a medical center. They were very, very wealthy. In, in fact, it was known, they were known by this in the Roman Empire. In AD 60, in th this part of the country, Asia Minor, there were a lot of different earthquakes. And in fact, there are hints of this when we're reading through the rest of Revelations. We get into some of the quote-unquote weird stuff. There's going to be some things that actually are, are hearkening back to some historical events that have taken place already. They were no, a lot of earthquakes happened in this area. And, and so in AD 60, a big part of the city was destroyed. Well, Rome, what they would often do is they would actually uh, come in, very similar to the way we do it here in the U.S., provide assistance, provide help, rebuild the city and all that. And so when they came to Laodicea, they said, no, we're fine. We don't need your help. And in, in fact, the, the Roman historian Tacitus talks about the fact that they rebuilt the city and quote, he says, with no help from us. And they took pride in that. There was a strong sense of civic pride in Laodicea. But, but it was also a textile center, not just uh, well, I think the garment district, if you've ever been to L.A. or, or New York City, um, they, people would, would buy clothes from this area. Uh, in fact, they were known for their black wool. They would produce uh, black wool. And so uh, my understanding is, as I've researched this, if, if you were wearing clothing that, had, that was made from black wool, it was a very good chance that, that clothing was made in Laodicea. They were known for this. Then the third thing, they were known for a lot of medical discoveries there, including specifically, a, a, uh, it was a cream that was used on the eyes. People would come from all over the Roman Empire to, uh, to have this application take place. It was an ointment that would, uh, that would address eye trouble. And so when you, we understand that, I, I want to read verse 17 again because all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense when he says, you think you've got everything you need, but you're wretched and you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Yeah, you're known as a financial center, but you're actually poor. You are spiritually destitute. You're spiritually impoverished. You're empty. You can't, you can't even provide for yourself spiritually what, what you really need. Where, where he, he says you're, you're blind. Yes, you've got, people are coming all over the Roman Empire to you to get this ointment to put in your eyes and yet you yourselves can't even see the condition that you're in. You're naked. You're clothing the world and yet you are spiritually unclothed. And I think what he says in verse 17 is so huge because you say I'm rich, I've prospered, and I, 
And, and then it's this word, that I, this powerful thing right here. He says, and you say, I need nothing, not realizing all this other thing. Guys, there are three words that should never define a Christian, but will almost always define a lukewarm a Christian. And it's those three words, I need nothing. I don't need to pray. Why do I need to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. I've got bread. Why do, why do, why do I need to, to pray for this? I've, I've got what I need. Those three words are the three words that make Jesus want to puke. So he describes the, the symptom. He describes the disease. But what I love is that Jesus doesn't stop there, but he gives us and he gives the church. But ultimately, also, we get to benefit from this, the prescription. And the prescription is this. It's reliance on Christ. In fact, when in verse 18, it begins with, I counsel you, that, that, that word counsel, it, it's the same exact word for prescribed. So Dr. Jesus is getting ready to prescribe some things to us. And he says, I, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire. He's talking about suffering here. So that you may be rich. Remember the, 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 the church it was a Smyrna that, or I, I can't remember which, it just escaped me just now, but the, the church that they said, you are poor and yet you are rich. He's actually telling them, this is actually what you need. Gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, not black. Notice what he's doing here. But like Jesus knows this church. White garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes. Like, like he, he knows what's going on in Laodicea, so that you may see. And then he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And there, there are four things that I just wrote down out of, out of this. If, if uh, Dr. Jesus wrote us out a prescription for our lukewarmness, there are four things that he's gonna give us. And you can just write these down or take a picture of the screen. First of all, the, the, the first part of the prescription is get what you need from Jesus, not from the world. Get, get, get what you need from Jesus, not, not from the world. Man, I, th I was uh, reading this week, I came across a story. Uh, a lot of us, if you're a baseball fan, which I, I love baseball. Well, actually, I'm a Reds fan, so it's hard to love baseball when you're a Reds fan. But anyway, I like the idea that we might win. But, um, but in 1986, everybody remembers the World Series, the big air between the Red Sox and the Mets when Bill Buckner, our good old Idaho boy, uh, man, the ball rolled right between his legs. They ended up losing that game. Long story short, Mets took the series. What we don't remember is what took place in, in the AL uh, Championship Series between, uh, it was the California Angels uh, playing this was before Anaheim kids. Uh, the California Angels were playing Boston Red Sox and, and Actually, it was the best of five. California, uh, Angels have been playing great baseball. And they came to the very uh, the, the last game, and they were playing well. And, and, man, the pitcher got tired. And so I think it was in the eighth inning, they brought in a reliever by the name of Donnie Moore. Now, Donnie Moore had had a tough year. Uh, not everybody knew everything he'd been through. He'd had some rib issues, some shoulder issues. But, but he'd been rehabbed, and everything was good. But uh, he, he comes in, and they, they had, uh, they had s several people on base, and he gave up. A, a three-run homer that literally broke the back of the Angels. In fact, the Angels had been leading. They, uh, Red Sox uh, went ahead. Even though Angels were able to tie them in the ninth and went to extra innings, uh, Red Sox won. The rest of the story went to the, the World Series. Okay, so that's just a, a blip. That happens all the time where a guy 
gives up, uh, you know, blows a, a, a relief opportunity. Well, Donnie Moore, man, when they, when, they inter- when they interviewed him after the game, he took the full blame on himself. He said, this was all my fault. In fact, he, he told a reporter, he said, if I had never gone into the game, I think we would have won. And his teammates said later that he never recovered from this. In fact, two, uh, two years, he was never the same pitcher. If you look at stats, he wasn't even close to being the same pitcher. Within two years, uh, he was out of the league. Uh, it's a sad, sad story. Hooked on drugs. He was uh, just an alcoholic. Like, his story is such a sad, sad story. It got to the place where he had three kids, a uh, wife. Um, they, they had to walk on eggshells. They never knew what version of dad they were going to be around. But, but the whole thing, he took all of this on himself. And, and one day, like, this is an extreme case, but I, but I want to make my point here. Like, one day, his wife says something. He exploded, went and got his gun in front of his three kids, shot his wife. And then turned around in front of his three kids, killed himself. His wife survived, but she and the kids, as you can imagine, scarred for the rest of, for the rest of their life. So they had their funeral, and reporters showed up at, at, the, at the funeral. They wouldn't let them into the service. But as it came out, several of his teammates were, were there. And as, as it came out, one of them gave an interview. And, and I'm, I'm quoting his exact words. He said, well, you know, baseball was his meaning in life. And when he failed as a baseball player, he believed he failed as a person. And he, last, he lost all his reason for living. And I, I read that this week, so I'm studying through this. And I came across this old article, and yeah, it hit me. I, I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. And guys, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, like, I look over my life, it, it might not be baseball that I lived for, but man, I, I've actually lived for things other than Jesus. In fact, even since starting this walk with Jesus, there have been times that, I don't, man, it's easy to start living for the applause of men. But it's weird because no matter what happens, it's never enough. You can live for, for, more, for success and achieving. And listen, guys, you, for those of you that know me, part of the reason the board's like, you got to take a sabbatical, is... I, and it's not, it's, this is not me patting myself on the back. Like, I love achieving. I'm competitive. Like, if we play softball, you, you, you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> but, but there comes a thing, like, I, man, it's always like, we're, God, what do you have for us? And, and you know what? I'm thankful that God has wired me. I, I have, I'm thankful for the way I'm wired. But it, it's, it's a problem when all of a sudden that becomes more important than, than Jesus. There are times that, that, we can chase all of these different things. You can chase sex, you can chase relationships, whatever. But it's so weird that when we seek from the world what we were created to receive from God, we end up choking the life out of this thing that we think we need because it doesn't deliver what we think it's going to deliver. On the other hand, the strangest thing when Jesus says, here's a prescription, buy from me, come to me for this. What happens is when Jesus literally becomes what we're zealous for, 
The other blessings, we can now enjoy and appreciate them and not choke the life out of them because we don't need the relationship to give us what only Jesus can give us. We don't need a career to give us what only Jesus can give us. We don't need money and, 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 and what other people think. We, we don't need that to, to give us what Jesus can give us. When I can find my identity in Christ instead of things or, 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 or whatever my achievements I can actually enjoy my achievements. I can enjoy my relationships. I can enjoy my blessings, but I find my identity in Christ. And this is why Jesus says, come to me for what you need. Don't come to the world. I gotta finish. The second thing that's part of his prescription is you're gonna suffer. You know, if, 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 you, if you look at what, what he says here, where he, where he talks about uh, uh, let me go back. Uh, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire. He's saying, faithfully suffer knowing that I'm with you. And guys, I, I, wanna, I wanna get rid of this thing. There are a lot of people that your confidence and your standing with Jesus Christ has everything to do with the blessings that you're, the material blessings that you have in this life. And so if things start going bad and, and you get fired from your job or, uh, or you get sick or whatever, you begin ha having doubt in your relationship with God, which just shows you have a works-based approach to following Jesus. L listen, in this life, every one of us are gonna suffer. One, one of the greatest lies is that if you follow Jesus, you're not gonna go through hard times. I promise you, you're going to go through hard times. I promise you. The difference though is this, when you walk through the hard times, Jesus walks with you. When you walk through the fire, you're not walking through the fire alone. The same person that showed up in, in the fire uh, with, with John or with, with uh, you know, before he was sent to Patmos where he writes this vision in Revelation or the same, uh, the, the same one that showed up in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the, is the same one that's gonna show up in the fire with you, faithfully suffer, knowing that I'm with you. That's, that's the second part of his prescription. The, the third part of his prescription is this, be open to receiving his love even his reproof and his discipline. There are times that, that honestly, we don't want people to tell us and we don't wanna hear our mistakes. We don't wanna hear the fact that we're lukewarm. There are times when we hear things, we wanna push back. In fact, I find that we're most, uh, we're most sensitive about those things that we're most insecure and many times God will send a faithful servant, whether it's through preaching the word, a, a Bible study, or just a good friend, somebody who loves you enough to speak truth. And what you want to do is instead of receiving, you want to reject or you want to, to, to pull back. Guys, listen, trust the discipline of the Lord. I, I mean, I love what Hebrews uh, 12, the writer says. He's like, man, he said, if you're, if you're being disciplined, it's proof that you're not, Ill you're not an illegitimate son. Road Dudley, who's on our uh, teaching team, we were talking about this, this particular part of the message on Tuesday, and he, he was talking about the fact, he said, I grew up, uh, or he said, there was a time that I spent in the foster system. And he said, one of, my, one of the things that hurt me as a kid was that when there was an issue that in, in his, his, ex, his experience, the families he was with, the, the, the foster parents didn't want to deal with the issue. They would call in a social worker. They would actually just remove themselves. And it was just another reminder of the fact, well, they're not really my parents. They really don't care. Listen to me, Jesus cares. He cares deeply for you. He cares enough to tell you what you don't want to hear sometimes. 
He cares enough to wake you up. He cares enough to come to you with a message that says, you think you've got it all together because look at all this stuff, but, but no, what you need is me. He cares. And, and so, man, for, for us, he's just, just receive my correction. Receive my discipline. But then he leaves us with this. Just, it's, it's very simple. Repent. Repent and follow me passionately. You read verse 20. A lot of times we, we think of this verse as being a verse that's used, you know, for unbelievers. But remember the context. He's writing to the church. This is actually a verse written to the church where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And that language is all about intimacy. And listen, I'll guarantee you, I'm talking today to people that, that for whatever reason, man, you've lost that, 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 that intimacy isn't there. And, and, and guys, I want to say this very carefully, but, but please understand that that lack of intimacy has nothing to do with God just walking away from you. That lack of intimacy has because we walked away from God. And so what he's saying, he's like, he says, I'm standing outside, I'm knocking. And, and, and if, if you'll open up, if, if instead of just settling for this, this apathy, this, this lukewarmness, yeah, we're good, we're good, I know, I know, I got it, I've got it. If instead we'll open up, he uses this language of intimacy. I will come in, I will eat with you, you'll eat with me, we're doing this together. And all of this anchors our confidence when he says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And what he's saying is overcoming is only possible if we come to Christ and depend fully upon him. And church, as we close, can I just tell you that God will speak to his church generally, but when it comes to the application, many times, He's going to speak individually. So th th this is a message of the church generally, but did you notice that when it talks about the application, he says, if anyone, it's not if the entire church, if anyone hears my voice and comes to me. And, and, and the whole point is this, what God can do through a man or woman who We'll just do what he asks to do instead of settling for this apathetic, going through the motions, checking the bo boxes version of following Jesus and will instead say, God, would you revive me? Would you reignite the fire? I want Zestos. I don't want lukewarm. What he says is I'll do exactly that and what God can do through one or two or three dedicated men and women, it will set a church on fire. Fire spreads. And so it starts with us. And so he ends this message as he ended every message. And it's very good for us as we close this service to hear this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now listen, this is Mother's Day. We got all kinds of cool things. You want, I want you to go out, get your picture taken, pick up your brace, all that. But I would say that if you are here and um, you know you're lukewarm, that probably the greatest thing that you'll offer your family is, is to admit this. And so, man, I'm, I'm gonna stay up here. We'll have other people up here. I'll pray as long as, as, long as it takes. And, and listen, it's just starting here. We say, God, will you do something in me? And so after I pray to close, I'll hang out up here. You come on up and we'll have another team. We will pray together because I believe
that though lukewarmness is a symptom and though self-reliance is a disease that will kill us, and what Jesus Christ offers us through relying on him is still what will change everything.